0: Well, last week, um, I, I started off by asking you a question, and I asked, what gift did you give or get that didn't live up to expectation? And I want to flip that question this morning. Uh, what gift have you given or received that far exceeded expectations? Bandsaw. A bandsaw. A <laughs> bandsaw. In a good way, right? Yeah, oh, all yeah. Yeah. right. <laughs> there you go, yeah, I can see all of them. I can see all those fingers, yeah. <laughs> Your trombone, all right. Any other gifts that far exceeded expectations? Yeah, Matt. Fulfillment of a 12-year-old's promise. All right. Fulfillment of a 12-year-old's promise. All right. Do Don't need to explain that? Uh, you know, that's up to you, or we can you know, we can get together and talk about it later. It's actually a nice story. I think I'll share it with, uh, with the congregation. Um, when Alex was 12 years old, I sold a, a, old sh- a shotgun that I had to buy his hunting rifle. <clears throat> and he promised he would find that shotgun someday something and buy it for me. <clears throat> he fulfilled that promise last mm-hmm. Christmas. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <clears throat> that, that I asked him to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because what I did was because I loved him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Very cool. Very cool. I was trying to think of uh, my answers uh, to this. Uh, The gift that I've received that far exceeded expectations, um, I think the first two Christmases that Katie and I were married, um, two of our big gifts that we got from families were a wheelbarrow and a ladder. And... (laughs) I can't tell you how useful those tools have been uh, over, over our marriage. So, you know, at, at first it's like, you know, it wasn't exactly something that we went and, you know, played with Christmas morning, um, but, but it, was, it was very neat. The gift that we've given um, that probably far exceeded, uh, I think, my expectations would be uh, Jack Similar uh, down that Road of, of instruments. Uh, we gave a two-year-old uh, Jameson uh, a, a set of uh, a drum set for for Christmas um, when he was about two, and um, that drum set took a beating, and uh, I think one of the cymbals didn't make it out alive. Um, <laughs> but he would go down and he would he would he would pound on it, but it wasn't long until there was some sense of. Of a beat happening, and um, so we've um, been able to enjoy kind of the the fruits of that gift. Even years later, uh, we no longer have that drum set. We've allowed passed it on to another child to uh, enjoy, and um, parents that to drive them nuts. It was given to relatives, so that's fun. Well, our text this week is one you're probably expecting the Sunday before Christmas or, or, or close to it. Um, when we typically read the Christmas story, we tend to um, prefer Luke's version because Luke has the, the kind of the, the grand tale. It's got the story from... Uh, beginning to, to end. Uh, Matthew's version here is is pretty short, pretty succinct. Uh, no shepherds, no uh, angelic message for Mary. Um, instead, we have plans for a secret divorce as Joseph takes center stage. It, it struck me even uh, as that passage was being uh, read, how kind of a uh, a back seat that Mary takes in this passage. It's, it's really focused on Joseph. If you read the larger passage um, here in Matthew chapter 1 and into chapter 2, you really have Joseph kind of set in juxtaposition with Herod. And the way these two men are responding to the news uh, of Jesus' birth. And one is, is acting in faithfulness, is following uh, God's will, is, is seeking to um, preserve his, his family and, and preserve the life of this Messiah. And another uh, one is trying to preserve their own power and trying to snuff out the life of the Messiah. But this is uh, a little bit closer to what we expect here at Christmas. We get a connection in this passage back to our favorite prophet, Isaiah, after spending two years wandering through. We uh, read the Christmas story. We tend to um, prefer Luke's version because Luke has the the kind of the, the grand tale. It's got the story from... Uh, beginning to, to end. Uh, Matthew's version here is is pretty short, pretty succinct. Uh, no shepherds, no uh, angelic message for Mary. Um, instead, we have plans for a secret divorce as Joseph takes center stage. It, it struck me even uh, as that passage was being uh, read, how kind of a, a, a a back seat that Mary takes in this passage. It's, it's really focused on Joseph. If you read the larger passage um, here in Matthew chapter 1 and into chapter 2, you really have Joseph kind of set in juxtaposition with Herod and the way these two men are responding to the news uh, of Jesus' birth. And one is, is acting in faithfulness, is following uh, God's will, is, is seeking to um, preserve his, his family and, and preserve the life of this Messiah, and another uh, one is trying to preserve their own power and trying to snuff out the life of the Messiah this is uh, a little bit closer to what we expect here at Christmas. We get a connection in this passage back to our favorite prophet, Isaiah. After spending two years wandering through uh, Isaiah, we have some um, words from Isaiah popping back up in this passage. But in the connection here uh, of Yeshua, Jesus, Savior, with Emmanuel, God with us, we get something above and beyond even what Isaiah or the other prophets expected. So as we look at this passage this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Even in these familiar words, would you breathe new life into them and new life into us? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, our old friend Isaiah is popping back up in this message. and uh, One of the the songs that we sang uh, this morning talks about 400 years of waiting, 400 years between kind of the the end of what we think of as the Old Testament prophets and uh, the coming of Jesus, although we've been talking about John the Baptist in the last couple of weeks, who really comes in the pattern of those Old Testament prophets. He he's, um, has this pr- uh, prophetic uh, demonstration, this prophetic theater that he uh, is, is involved in with his clothing and with his diet and just the way his persona and the way that he's uh, going around with his ministry. But I wonder what the prophets longed for as they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. Remember back to our two-summer-long trek through Isaiah, that Isaiah looked forward to a time of restoration. Israel and Judah had been unfaithful and had uh, been allowed to suffer the full effects of their unfaithfulness, and they're, they're dragged into exile. Uh, Israel ceases to uh, exist as a coherent group of people. Judah will make it through the exile. They will return to Jerusalem. They will rebuild the temple. The second half of Isaiah begins to um, see what's happening as they emerge from exile, and it's a hopeful vision. It's it's hopeful for what God will continue to do and the restoration that God will continue to bring about. But what the prophets longed for was for the king of Judah to rule in such a way that it seemed that God himself were in their midst. Do you ever wonder why the prophets seemed so concerned with issues of justice especially for the vulnerable widows and the orphans because they expected that when the king ruled rightly, when, when the right king finally came into the throne and ruled in the way that God wanted that king to rule, That it would seem as though God Himself was ruling that the widows and orphans and marginalized would be cared for. These were the signs that the prophets looked for. So John the Baptist comes as the, the last biblical example of this kind of Old Testament prophetic voice. Saying, get ready because that kind of ruler, the ruler that we've been looking for. The kingdom of heaven itself is at hand. so we we talked about uh, John's question from a prison cell last week. He sends a couple of his own uh, students to Jesus and, and they ask, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And Jesus then answers, the blind see, the deaf hear, the good news is preached to the poor. It's everything the prophets had hoped for and it's coming true. In Jesus. Here in uh, Matthew's birth narrative, again, it's pretty short. It's pretty condensed. The first 17 verses trace the genealogy of Joseph. Uh, it was a very important step uh, for Matthew to take, important in the ancient Jewish world for establishing someone's credibility as a Jew, especially as a, a rabbi and certainly as the Messiah. People got to know that he's got the right lineage. He's part of the, the right line to fulfill these prophecies. They got to know that he's you know, Jewish and, and through and through and has the genealogy to back it up. But Matthew also makes it clear that Jesus is not Joseph's biological son. But as Joseph takes Mary and the child home, he formally adopts Jesus, and that genealogy is imparted to Jesus because he names Him. When Joseph names Him, that's, that's his uh, kind of endorsement, Joseph's way of adopting Jesus as his own. So Jesus is a son of Abraham. He is heir to the covenant through whom the covenant will find its fulfillment. Also in that lineage, Jesus will draw His line from Jacob. Remember, Jacob had been offered as a sacrifice out in the wilderness, but God had stepped in to spare Abraham's son, his only son. As Matthew is starting his Gospel. He wants us to remember back through these Old Testament stories and make these connections to this Messiah who has come. Jesus is the son of David, heir to the kingly line, but a different kind of king exercising a different kind of power. Jesus comes as the son of Solomon, the temple builder, but Jesus will be the transition from that old physical temple to a new living temple. So Jesus is presented here as the son of God, a joint venture and cooperation of the divine and the human. And the angel instructs Joseph, you are to name him Jesus, in Matthew, like I said, uh, Joseph is, is given the task of naming that child, and in the naming, Joseph is claiming the child as his own. We talked about this name uh, a, f- a number of months ago uh, now, Yeshua. It's a version of the name Joshua, which literally means Yahweh is salvation, But the angel here says, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel isn't just trying to give a a, a literal translation of the name, but an interpretation of how this child will save. Here's how Yahweh's salvation will look. And the angel announces, he will save his people from their sins. There's um, there's a Greek word, uh, hemartia. Uh, we often talk about missing the mark. That's one of the connotations of this word, um, that you're, you're shooting for a target and you, you miss the mark. And, and that's often how I've heard sin described, and I think that's a, a really apt way of kind of understanding it. Um, but one of the other words uh, that was associated with uh, this Greek word that really connected with me this week is Wandering to wander, to err. You think about wandering and how that's portrayed throughout the Old Testament in the stories. Wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Wandering in exile. Really from the, the beginning, God's ideal is to be settled in Eden. The very beginning of the story. Everything is perfect. Everything is the way God intends it to be, and God is dwelling with humanity. But from Genesis 3, people have been wandering, and there are glimpses of Eden that continue to pop up throughout the the biblical story. There's this refrain that continues to pop up when when people are are living in relationship with God, when they're acting in the way God wants. We often see images of Eden kind of popping back up uh, as the Israelites go into the land flowing with milk and honey. That's a connection back to Eden, right? So when we see people living in relationship with God and relationship with their neighbor, we start to see little glimpses of Eden popping up But now the angel announces that this Son of God and Son of Man will bring an end to the wandering of humanity. Lost and disconnected from Eden. Remember Eden where God walks and talks and shares open, vulnerable relationship with humanity. And now... This child is making that possible again. says He will save His people from their sins. This sin has individual and, and corporate or communal dimensions. What I have done wrong and what we have done wrong. Throughout the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel and Judah are often held accountable for their own sin, but also for the sin uh, of the community, held accountable for wandering from God in their practices and in their idolatry. And he will save his He will save His people. From their sins, and I th- started to think about this week: Who are Jesus' people? Who are these people that are going to be saved? And certainly, the way Matthew starts with this genealogy, he's he, you know he's making connections to the people of Israel, the people of, of Judah, the the people that are part of this lineage. But as Matthew unfolds, as you read through the gospel, we start to realize that his people is a much broader group of people than what we would have imagined. His people will include some biological children of Abraham. It will include sinners and tax collectors and even Gentiles. Remember, part of the blessing of Abraham was that all nations would be blessed. And we start to see that happening. So this child, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yahweh is salvation, is here to save and rescue His people from their wandering. People that have been lost in exile, removed from Eden, saving individuals who recognize that an end to the wandering exile has been made possible through this Savior, and forming a new kind of people that are starting to live the Eden life even now. This perfect garden even in the midst of the old wilderness until the time when God comes and blows out the boundaries to the garden and covers the earth in a perfect garden and makes his home in the midst of the garden with humanity again. The angel rejoices. They shall call him Emmanuel. Remember what the prophets had longed for? for the the king to rule in such a way as though it seemed God was in their midst? Well, this is even more than what the prophets had hoped for because this isn't a king coming and ruling in the right way and it seems as though God is in their midst. What the angel is announcing here is, no, God, God, God's self is in your midst. This is God in your midst. The blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised, good news for the poor, it doesn't just seem as though God is in our midst. God is with us. If you've spent much time uh, around the church, you've, you've probably heard Sermons on Emmanuel, if you've been, I know I've preached them, maybe you don't remember them, that's okay. Right now, this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend that none of you have ever heard a sermon on Emmanuel, um, because I, every time I get to uh, one of these passages, talking about Emmanuel, God with us, this is one of those phrases that for me personally, I just really get excited about. That God is not one who stays out there, disconnected, but God steps into the fray, steps into our midst, and walks with us, either in Emmanuel or or, or John's going to use the word logos, the, the, the word made flesh. Even in the ancient world, they were familiar with people coming and and claiming to be messengers from God. Either one God or from the gods. They, They were used to people coming and claiming to be those messengers. This isn't just a messenger, this is God stepping into our neighborhood. This is God in our midst, living and breathing and, and, and interacting with uh, other people and, you know, messy relationships and, uh, and, and, you know, parents who don't understand Him and, you know, like the whole human experience. To have God not just send a messenger, but to enter into the story in the flesh, that's something different. Even Caesar later might claim to be God in the flesh or claim the title Son of God, but for someone in a backwater town in a far-flung corner of the Roman Empire with a less-than-noble birth, to claim that He will save His people and that it's none other than God in our midst. That's more than what the prophets expected. That simple word, Emmanuel, should so fill us with hope and joy and peace and all of the, 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 the things that we talk about here at Christmas time. Yes, the lights are beautiful. The trees are beautiful. The flowers are beautiful. But God stepping into the story, God in our midst. the lights don't compare. The flowers don't compare. God in our midst, walking, talking, teaching, showing us how to live. God in our midst, dying in the place of sinful, wandering in exile, humanity. God in our midst, being raised to new life. And promising to return and ultimately to make his dwelling with us. A renewed Eden. A place flowing with life, with healing, with wholeness. This is how Yeshua, son of Joseph, will enter to save his people from sinful wandering. And his people, not a closed set... Not a genealogy that you're either in or you're out. But an open definition, an open invitation to those who receive the gift and walk in the way of Jesus rather than wandering aimlessly on their own. A savior, more than we could have expected. In the line of David, yes. But a different kind of king. In the line of Solomon, the temple builder, but a different kind of temple where we come and we worship in spirit and in truth. In the line of Abraham, but expanding the blessing to those of all nations, none other than God with us, Savior, Emmanuel. I really hope that you have um, a good week as we prepare for Christmas. I hope you enjoy all of the the traditions and and the family gatherings. Um, I I hope it's just a a very meaningful, special time for each of us uh, this coming week. And then, you know, for for us it's like the next two weeks that are just, you know, filled with um, different engagements and and family and friends and get-togethers. And I really enjoy all of it. And so maybe a small glimpse. But when I read Emmanuel, God with us, let that continue to spark our hope, spark our joy, spark our, our love for a God who steps in to our midst. Amen. This morning we're going to to close our uh, worship by singing A Little Town of Bethlehem. A very simple song about a simple beginning, about a, a, a simple manger scene. And it's through this simple manger scene, through this simple story that God steps in and does something remarkable. Would you stand and uh, turn in your uh, blue hymnal to number 191.